Well, good morning, church. Today we conclude our series on holy living. We've been looking at what the Bible says about our souls, our relationships, our emotions, that we are human beings. And today we tackle what the Bible says about our bodies. Now, many of us know firsthand about the limitations and the struggles with our bodies. You know, there's some things that we do well, and there's some things that we don't do well. There are times that our bodies lead us into glory and sometimes lead us into trouble. I remember um, when I was a freshman in high school, and I was on the track team for one year, actually for a very short while, and the, uh, for whatever reason, the coach felt I should be a long-distance runner. And when I was a freshman, I was only four foot six, and uh, I had very short legs. And the the uh, miler on our team was the state champion. Uh, he had run a, f- a sub five minute mile, which was at that time was a state record in Kentucky. And so we were running a meet against our rival, and the coach came to me and said, uh, "Jeff, I know you're inexperienced at this." Um, I imagine he said cursey, he didn't say Jeff. Uh, you're inexperienced at this, so I want you to run rabbit. And I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, that means you're going to run as hard as you can run for as long as you can run so that the other team's miler will follow you and, uh, and burn them out. And then our guy can set back and run his normal pace, and then whenever the time comes, he can kick it in. I said, okay, I can do that. <clears throat> well, I went out there, and, and the gun goes off, and I sprinted. I sprinted for what felt like forever. I think it was like 200 yards. And, uh, and I never caught our miler, right? I never caught our guy. Uh, and I'm sprinting. And I couldn't even catch the guy. I, uh, I turned my, my uniform in shortly after that and, uh, and said that wasn't my thing. Now, I love to play basketball, uh, being a basketball person in Kentucky. Uh, congratulations to the Tennessee Vols last night who... Who uh, I know you guys were looking for a shout out there, but uh, you know it's not how you arrive; it's how you finish, right? I'll just say that. Um, but anyway, I, I played basketball every day, uh, and in college, seminary, long after that, played basketball. Last week, I was two weeks ago. I was in the gym over here, the auditorium we were set up for upper basketball, and I was going to shoot a free throw. And I think I tore my rotator cuff, you know, <laughs> shooting a free throw, you know. Our bodies uh, will wear out. It, kind of like the old guy in the pro shop who said to the pro, says, you know, I, I feel like I'm hitting the ball really good. I just can't see anymore where the ball goes. And uh, he says, do you have anybody that, could, that you could team me up with? He said, yeah, we got a new member. This guy's amazing. He's got eyes like an eagle. He can see forever. And I'm going to put you with him. So sure enough, next morning they play together, and the guy tees off and hits one what he thought was a good shot down the middle, and he turns to the guy and says, did you see that? I says, yeah, it was an amazing shot, really good. He says, where'd it go? He says, I don't remember. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you don't stop laughing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop laughing. Isn't that right? You know, our bodies will lead us to the thrill of victory or to the agony of defeat. Uh, yeah, Friday, uh, we were in Charleston for our granddaughter's gymnastics meet, and she is the queen of the beam, right? You know the beam that is not as wide as that iPhone, right? 
feet, Thomas. Not as wide as the iPhone. And uh, she was, it's, her, it's her specialty. She's really, really good at it. Uh, and I could tell she was nervous. Something wasn't quite right. And, uh, uh, and as she got warmed up, she, she had a, really a bad fall. Probably the worst fall I've ever seen anyone take on the beam. And she landed on her back on the floor, and it was not good. Tears, frustration. I was thankful she got up. Um, but I figured, well, that was a trip to Charleston, and uh, now we get to go back. Um, but she, to her credit, she got up, she dried her tears, and got back on the beam and struggled on the beam, uh, but she completed it. But then she went to her next event, which was the floor, and had her highest score ever. So that's how we face limitations. We don't quit. We get back up. So that today I have questions for you to think about. First is, will you trust God's plan for your body? Secondly, will you live as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Thirdly, will you allow your suffering to be used for a holy purpose? And will you invite God through the Holy Spirit to change your physical body from the inside out? You know, all our bodies have physical and spiritual limitations. So if you're able to jump up or stand up, uh, or remain seated for the reading of God's Word. Would you stand? Reading today from Corinthians chapter 6, a text that uh, is, comp- is, is hard for us, a text that is not well-received in our culture, uh, a text that guided us as a church as we made a difficult decision last January, begins with verse 18. Escape from sexual immorality... Every sin that a man commits is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I pray that as we hear your word read, and as we invite your Holy Spirit to speak through us and to us, that you will give us the courage to give your Holy Spirit control over our lives, our souls, our spirits, our minds, and our bodies. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Our bodies will let us down. Our bodies will lead us astray. But the question is today, how can we leverage our faith in Jesus Christ to glorify God with our bodies? Well, the first thing we've got to do is trust in God's plan for the body. The Bible declares God's creation is good, and that includes the human body. Our bodies are trustworthy and invested with profound dignity The Bible says that each one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's handiwork. Now, we could probably like to change things about our bodies, things that we would change if we could. But the truth is that God made us the way we are. We are God's idea, evidence of his creative work. God created us as beings with bodies. No matter how you feel about your body today, On any given day, the truth is, God made you, and it's good. 
In Genesis, we read these words, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I believe it's fascinating that God made us as human beings a little less than the angels. And, you know, we think about angels and we think, wow, wouldn't it be great to be an angel? You know, just to be an angel, to be, and maybe, maybe you've said to your, your, your child or your granddaughter or maybe your spouse, you know, you're an angel. Or maybe you said, I wish you would start acting like an angel. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Psalm 8 says it this way. When I look up and think about your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in their place, what is man that you think of him, the son of man, that you care for him? You made him a little less than the angels and gave him a crown of greatness and honor. Do you hear that? That God has given you a crown of greatness and honor and made you just a little less than the angels. Now, the reality is we are not alone in this world. We are physical beings surrounded by spiritual beings, angels and demons. Colossians 1 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Here's a newsflash. You were not created for yourself. The person sitting beside you was not created for you. You were created for God. One of the great challenges in marriages is whenever we expect our partner to fulfill us or complete us or to make us better. That's an incredible amount of pressure, a job description that was not intended for you. You are made for God. It is God who makes you better. It is God who equips you, who makes you a better spouse, a better parent, a better grandparent. So how are we different than angels and demons? Well, angels are not limited by physical time and space. It gives us a glimpse of what it's going to be like for us on the other side of eternity the Bible indicates that they are stronger and smarter than us, but not as strong or as smart as God. Angels are created, and unlike us, they don't procreate. But what do we have in common with angels and or demons? The one thing that we have in common is free will. We can choose to submit our bodies to God, or we can choose to submit to our pride and fall away from God. See, demons are created angels who submitted to their pride instead of committing to God. And that's why they fell. So we are similar to angels in that we have free will. We, we get to decide, am I going to escape from sexual immorality? Am I going to ask God to fill my body with the Holy Spirit? Am I going to glorify God in my body and my spirit? Or am I going to fulfill my own desires and glorify myself. I love what the Blue Letter Bible said in the commentary. It says, God came to die for the sins of humanity, not for angels. 
those humans who have trusted Christ as their Savior will eventually judge angels. Because of these things, the humans who have believed in Jesus will have a superior position to the angels in the ages to come. That was a newsflash for me. That in resurrection, that we will be elevated above angels. A little bit lower than angels now, but what you see is not finished yet. And who you are is not who you're going to be. And so, friends, I want to say this to you. You need to focus. We need to focus on who God has made us to be because we will have a forever future. And that future is predicated on how we handle our focus, on our focus today and our commitment today. You know, I love this passage in Hebrews 2. It says, But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus himself humbled himself, came to the earth, and was lower than the angels, so that through God's grace he should die for everyone. We see him now crowned with glory and honor because of the death he suffered. It was only right that God who creates and preserves all things should make Jesus perfect through suffering in order, that, in order to bring many children to share his glory. For Jesus is the one who leads them to salvation. The word says that we should escape, flee, run from sexual immorality. I want to be clear today that God's plan for our genders and sexual relationships is good. He created us male and female for each other in the context of the covenant of marriage. The sexual relationship between husband and wife is to be pure, it is to be holy and good before God. I believe that God has given the gift of sexual relationships for both procreation and lifelong intimacy. I say to couples that I'm doing premarital counseling with that, that this part of the relationship is God's wedding gift to you. And I also tell them, don't open it until you're married. Because that's what you do with wedding gifts. And why is that? Because if you don't get married, you can take the gift back. But if you open it, it's hard to take it back. And God does not do that to be a killjoy. God do, does that because he wants to, to show how incredible, sanctified, and pure and holy that part of your relationship needs to be. So why does Paul write these words to the Corinthians? To flee, escape sexual immorality. You know, I'm going to take this from Michael. He's preaching in the auditorium in our discussions about our message. I really like how he phrased this. In the early church, because it gives explanation about what's going on in our world today. Because our world today is in disarray. Would you agree with that? When it comes to the culture, when it comes to immorality, when it comes to sexuality, we've got some real challenges. And I, I love what this uh, way this kind of gives a, a context. There was something in the early church, a heresy that came about early, early first, second century called Gnosticism. And Gnostics believed the material world didn't matter. They believed that not only that our bodies didn't matter, but that our bodies couldn't be trusted. Your body doesn't matter, and your body can't be trusted. A lot of people believe that today. You could do whatever you want with your body. You could eat, drink, and be merry, because the physical realm didn't matter at all. Their goal in life was to reach a state of salvation in the spiritual realm that can only be reached through knowledge, through understanding. We call that humanism today. Now, I'm not aware of a Gnostic church located in the area or anywhere, 
But there are remnants of Gnostic thought alive and well in the culture. There are still plenty of people whose philosophy in life is to be hedonistic. It is to eat, drink, and be merry because you can do in your body what you do in your body or what you do with your body doesn't matter. There are people who believe that our biology and our bodies aren't really integral to how God made us and who God created us to be. So we can do whatever we want with our own bodies. And in fact, we can create our own realities and determine our own identities independent of our bodies and our biology. But the Bible tells us a different story, that God created our bodies and he said they're good. And don't you know that the evil one has always taken what God has said is good and made it bad. Taking what God has said is good and counterfeited it for our corruption. The same question that the serpent asked Eve in the Garden of Eden is still being asked today. And what is that question? Did God really say that? Is that really what the Bible says? Is that really what God meant? Why don't you just do what you want to do? You know, just do your own thing. It, it, nobody's going to get hurt. Just be yourself and don't worry about anything else. That's not how the Bible reads. You know, God made humankind for a reason. And the reason is to glorify him and make him more famous in the world. But we committed treason. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what is God's provision for our treason? Jesus. God's provision for our treason is Jesus. God did not send an angel to save the world. Think about that. God could have picked an angel. Hey, go down and clean that up. Go down and straighten them out. But God did not send an angel to save the world. He sent his son, fully human and fully divine. His body was just like you and I. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He cried. He laughed. He was rejected. And yet he was born without sin. But the Bible is clear that he was tempted in all manner, like you and I are tempted, yet he did not sin. That made him the Lamb of God, the faithful Lamb of God. Jesus came in a human body to redeem us from our sin, our sin and our brokenness. You know, if you think about it, you are twice God's. God made you and God paid for you. He paid for you. Bought with a price, says the scripture. Jesus' body was broken on the cross. His blood was shed to pay the price of redemption, to restore our bodies, to restore our souls. Make no mistake. Don't believe the lies that are being told that you are of great worth and you have immense value. Jesus gave his life for you. Why would a sinless Savior, why would a sinless Son of God leave the splendors of heaven to come and suffer for you? Why? Because he loves you. Bottom line, because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son into this world. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. So the question is, will we live as temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a big shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the temple 
was organized in degrees of sacred space. And only the priest could enter into the sacred space, into the presence and the holiness of God. Once a year, once a year, the priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Now think about that. When Jesus was 40 days old, he was brought to the temple to be dedicated to God. His parents were poor, so they made a sacrifice of two turtle doves. Later in his ministry, Jesus taught at the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple courts. But as far as we know, he never physically entered into the sacred place of the temple because he was not a priest. He was a rabbi. And rabbis were not allowed to enter into the sacred place of God. But when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, several things happened, the scripture says. First, there was darkness across the land. The tomb of the dead saints were open. And what else happened? The curtain in the most sacred part of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's important to note from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, the temple sacred place, the Holy of Holies, was made open. God's Holy Spirit, hear this, went from residing in sacred, sacred buildings into sacred beings. You who believe in Jesus Christ, you who have received salvation in Jesus, God sees you as sacred because of the righteousness of Christ. Not because of our righteousness, but because of what Christ did for us on the cross. God went from physical buildings to abiding in physical beings. People from all walks of life who believe in Jesus Christ have full access to God. Do you hear that? And I love being around small children because I believe small children have more full access to God than any of us do because they're just full of faith, full of the presence of God because they've not yet understood what it means to sin, right? Original sin is not yet kicked in and they're just bubbling over with joy and faith and they act like saints. Sometimes they act like the devil, but most times they're good. Um, <laughs> God sees your soul as a sacred place. Do you see your soul as a sacred place? God sees your body as, a, as sacred. Do you see your body today as sacred? God's Holy Spirit wants to move into your body. He wants to be a part of your heart and a part of your soul. So don't neglect or don't reject or neglect what God has told you to respect. If you don't get anything out of my message, take that home with you. Don't reject or neglect what God has told you to respect. He made you good. But how often do we neglect this body by chasing the things of the world? How often do we reject who God has made us to be by chasing the things of this world? It says in the text, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit because it belongs to God. I want you to hear that is not a punishment. That is a blessing. The culture shouts, my body, my rules. But as believers in Jesus, our bodies belong to him. In fact, all of humanity belongs to him. And that's why there's an urgency for us to invite Christ into experience the life-saving grace of God now. 
Because one day we will stand before God and give an account of what we did with our bodies, what we did with our time, what we did with our souls. I'm leaving right in the middle of communion to get in the car and speak at a church in Merle's Inlet this evening because time is urgent. I get to go talk to them about God's plan and God's purpose because time is urgent. Now, to give glory means to give weight. It means to make God a priority in your life, to honor God with your bodies, eat healthy, take time to sleep so God's body can recover and recharge. We do a better job charging our electronic devices than we do in recharging our bodies. Can I get a second to that? We all make sure that everything's plugged in, but do we get plugged in? Do we take time to rest and be in the presence of God? We need to present ourselves in fashion in a way that honors God. Too often times in our world today, we're focused on glamorization rather than glorification. We want to be glamorizing, not glorifying. Nothing wrong with dressing up, not long, nothing wrong with having good um, uh, appearance, all that. But if glamorization is becoming your glorification, that may be a problem. If what you think about yourself is more important than what God thinks about you, that may be a problem. Now, thirdly, I want to say this quickly, but it's important. In order to honor God with our bodies, we've got to believe trials can have a holy purpose. Anybody want to just avoid the trials? Can I get a second on that? Anybody want to avoid the problems? I just want to avoid the problems. You know, just give me a clean path uh, all the way through, but that's not how it works in this world. God's people have problems. I love how James chapter 1 in the message paraphrases says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. How many believers do you know whose bodies are racked with physical pain, suffering, disease, challenges, persecution, trials, problems, and yet they show their full colors? They show us joy. They show us courage. They show us hope. And you know why they do that? Is they don't waste their pain. They give God their pain. And God is glorified in their suffering. In a few minutes, we're going to remember that Jesus' pain was not wasted. That he suffered and died so that our sins would be forgiven. And that we could have new life. And then the fourth question, will you invite grace to transform you from the inside out? I want to share three important Wesleyan distinctives. As a Methodist church, we are a Wesleyan church. Now, the first we've kind of danced around. John Wesley defines our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, as justifying grace. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been justified. Justifying grace enables you to become a Christian. Sanctifying grace, the second distinctive, enables you to be a Christian. Do you, do you hear that? Justifying grace 
enables you to become a Christian. Sanctifying grace enables you to be a Christian. It doesn't mean that you never sin again, but it means that we surrender our entire life, including our bodies, over to the Holy Spirit. And we ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. Titus says it this way in chapter 2, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And then First Thessalonians, may God himself and the God of peace sanctify you through and through. Through and through. Somebody say through and through. Not a little bit of you, but all of you. Not just what I do on Sunday, but what I do on Friday. What I do when I'm at my friend's house or when I turn on my computer. Through and through is what it means to be sanctified. That I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to work in my life through and through. From top to bottom, from inside to out, through and through. I love that word, through and through. When we experience sanctifying grace, sin is still around us, but is no longer our ally. Some of us try to be a Christian, try to walk with God, and sin is our ally. What does that mean? Is we, we, we keep sin in the back closet. We keep it close because I might need a pickup. I might need a boost. I might need a little more energy. So I got some sin over here so I can tap into it when I don't feel good, when I'm not sure about who I am. That's not what it means to be sanctified by grace. It means that we say no to sin by the grace of God. We can't do it ourselves. It comes through the Holy Spirit in us. It means we burn up our secret, secret agreements that we have with sin at night. And we confess Christ 24-7. To experience sanctifying grace or to be sanctified is to receive a second blessing. It is to receive a spirit baptism. It is to receive the gift from God that changes your heart that gives you the capacity to love God and your neighbor in new and profound ways. Sanctifying grace makes, your, makes sin your enemy, not your secret lover. Is sin your secret lover? Is sin somebody that you don't tell other people about? Is it something you do in secret? Sanctification makes sin your enemy. Last week, Grace Marie, in a profound sermon and I told Grace Marie, I said, you're an incredible singer, incredible singer, but you're a better speaker. Your future is being a speaker because you're so good at it. She said last week that Christians talk a lot about being healthy and too little about being holy. We need to talk more about being holy than we talk about being healthy because this body will wear out. Our health will deteriorate, but holiness lives on and on and on. And then finally, this morning, glorifying grace. Justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and glorifying grace. What did John Wesley mean by glorifying grace? It is the transformational grace of having resurrected bodies 
in eternity. I share this scripture with so many people when I find out that they've lost a loved one. I love it. It's a paraphrased version from 2 Corinthians 5 from the message. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade. And then we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. You see, my friends, we've been given a taste of what's ahead. Where do we see what's ahead? We look at the gospel accounts of Jesus resurrected, and we get a glimpse of what's ahead. What does a glorified body look like? Well, we will have full understanding. We'll see things clearly. Things won't be cloudy anymore. We'll be imperishable. We will never grow old. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more disease, no more death. And guess what? We'll have supernatural agility. I can not only shoot a free throw, I can dunk a basketball. I'm going to need to do that, right? We started, my, some of my friends in Kentucky were talking about this sermon yesterday. And one of the girls said, and my friend Dave, who we played basketball all the time, he says, you know, in heaven, I'll be able to dunk on you. And I said, somehow in heaven, that probably won't matter. Because we will have a different perspective, won't we? We'll have a perspective of holiness and of Jesus. So I want to give you this in closing, a grid of grace. How do you glorify God? How do you glorify God? How do you know how to glorify God? You know, one of the things I skipped over, and it's in my notes here somewhere, you know, when you're wondering if what you're doing is glorifying God, just ask yourself three questions. Is this a sin? If it's a sin, it's not glorifying God. Is it bad for me? If it's bad for you, it's not glorifying God. And will it cause someone to stumble away from God? It's not glorifying God. That's a sure litmus test. But this grid I want to give you, you can write it down. Take a picture of the screen. It'll be up there. Number one is Scripture. You can't follow your heart, but you can follow Scripture. Your heart will lead you astray, the Bible says. But Scripture will give you a grid of grace. Sacred conversations. Listen to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Seek accountability with the Lord and other believers. And then regularly receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. See, Wesley believed that through prayer, through Scripture, through the Lord's Supper, you can be converted. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to believe in Him today. And it can be your first communion as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's why we practice open communion. We don't check a card to see if you're eligible. We leave that between you and God. This morning, if you want to have a deeper walk with Jesus, you can do that in communion. If you want to be sanctified with the Holy Spirit, receive a deeper feeling of the Holy Spirit, you can do that in communion. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Will you offer your bodies today as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? You know, the problem with the living sacrifice 
is it keeps crawling off the altar. If you find yourself continuing to crawl off the altar and take it back, and say, God, I don't want to, you know, I, I can't do this, then you need the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit will keep you on the altar. The Holy Spirit will keep you before God. Will you receive that fullness today as you receive Holy Communion? The Holy Spirit.